0: Just be alternate, I'll okay. <laughs> Or maybe just take over.
1: Stick over. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: Broken and shingle to partial. Yidangu Radna, Ladala, come Yatayami. Sangi Chudang, Sukhi, Chuknam, Changchu, Bardu, Dakni, Kapsuchi, Daki, Cheny. Soki choknamla, La Chuk dagni Nam La Sange Chi daki chenyangi Pe Sunam Ki Shuk La Kaptsu chi, daki chenyang di pe su nam chi, chola penchi sangge du pa
1: Just
0: settling in for the meditation. sitting, however you can sit, to just forget about the body. And then gradually scan your awareness down your body. And just relax wherever you come across tightness. Especially with the forehead, all the tension melts. Any tightness in the eyes or the jaw. And there's plenty of time, you don't have to rush. can linger in any one area longer if you need to just creating the space for any tightness to melt away tension to release Focus on the breath, breath in the whole body. If your awareness jumps off towards some thought or storyline that comes by. Relaxing back into an open spacious awareness. Just releasing the thought. you're focusing on your breath, feeling as though you can just completely let go of all worries and cares. In a way, just by deciding to. Just by letting go of each one as they come up. back in with the forehead and the eyes and the jaw. Relaxing. Starting to move a little, making a dedication and opening that eyes. So we're on Class 3 of Perfecting Generosity, Becoming a Bodhisattva. And this is Course 10. So we have eight more courses. And tonight we're going to talk about... Oh, it's Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019. Tonight we're going to talk about the preliminaries to gaining bodhicitta. And I thought this... Class was really helpful when I went through and I was prepping. So hopefully it comes across that way for you as well. Okay, we're going to review first. I think the review is going to be the same every week. So um, what is the root text that we're studying in Tibetan, if anybody... I know Jenny knew the Tibetan last week, but she's not here, so. Lauren <laughs> <laughs> maybe knows. Tibetan is not my strong suit. It's jangchub
3: sempe
0: chupa la jukpa. <laughs> jangchub sempe chupa la jukpa. Can you split that up into two pieces and
1: have us repeat
0: it? jangchub sempe. Chupa la Jukpa
2: Chupa la
1: Jukpa Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And anybody know the Sanskrit? It has like the word of the main title of the text in it. It starts out with it. I know
3: the translation. That's the
0: commentary. Um, But yes, it's Bodhisattva Charya Avatara. Bodhisattva Charya Avatara. It's so interesting because I could see that and
3: I'll know what it's talking about, but I can't, like, generate
0: that from... Yeah. You
3: know, it's like if I saw Bodhisattva Avatara, I'd be like, ah, oh, the Bodhisattva's guided way of life. I know what that is. Yeah. But I can't
0: yeah it can be it can be it can be challenging um okay and then the commentary is entry point for children of the victoria victorious buddhas and who was this by the commentary you keep
3: looking at me like i'm gonna know so No, it like? <laughs>
0: no, it's one of Jason Kappa's students.
3: Oh, Kjeltsav
0: J. Yep. Kyoza. And his full monk's name is Kjeltsav J. Dharma Rinchen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I think somebody remembered his dates. You almost did,
3: I think. Yeah, it was like 1360-something to
1: 1430-something.
0: Mm-hmm. It's uh, 1364 to 1432. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the text that he wrote is Gyalse Juknok. That's the Tibetan for it. Gyalse Juknok.
1: Gyalse
0: Juk-nok. And as... You'll hear the, uh, people mentioning the Bodhisattva Charyavatara often. So word that comes up okay tonight I don't think we go to the first slide for a little bit okay <laughs> so tonight preliminaries to bodhicitta and just in our life in general there's certain things that we need to live like food air pushkins <laughs> <laughs> sugar-free mochas, for me. You know, like, there's certain things that we need, and a day or two without them, and we start to feel the need for them. Like, a day or two without water or food. Mm -hmm. And the motivation behind bodhicitta, that kind of compassion that we're almost, like, compelled to want to have, that's a type of human need as well. Geshe Michael, in this class, he talks about when he went to Russia... And this just sounds really sad to me. He went to Russia, and um, they used to have... This was a long time ago, because these courses he taught in the early 90s. Um, But they used to have religion, and then it was replaced with communist morality, which is pretty strict. And he said when he went there, they have some kind of hunger for spiritual things, and you can really see it. He would go there, and 20 people would come up to him, because at that point... Well, does he still wear his monk's robes? I think he does. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was a monk, and they were just like, they were wanting something like that, and so they had all these questions for him, and they were hungry for it. And in this country, we have so many temples and churches and that sort of thing, we don't really have that. I think we almost have an aversion to religion in this country, actually, which is really kind of sad, because we, we can practice any religion that we want, and we have so many available. So it's ironic that, I guess, what you have you don't want or something like that, you know? And the capacity to love and have compassion, is, it's a human need. And when we come into this class, we're expressing some kind of need. Um, it's something that we all want to be able to do, just care for other people. And care for someone more than we care for ourselves. Because although in a lot of ways most, you know, most human beings are pretty self-centered, it's not it's not really that pleasant. You know, we don't really like it that much. So we want to get outside of it. And I think that's what we're doing when some people, when they have kids, or when you want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or get married or... Um, family or you know start a family or whatever it is friends too and we can feel this is missing when we meet someone who doesn't have it but we might not be able to put our finger on exactly what it is and we all have some attraction to the idea that we could really get compassion and partly that's why when I'm driving and actually, after quiet, I don't get as irritated driving, which is really good. But when I'm driving, I still have irritation. It's just not as bad. Um, that's why it's so sad every time I get mad at somebody who's driving, because it's just embarrassing, too. I'm, I've been saying for 10 years that I want to take care of other people, and I want to reach this big goal so that I can help them. And then they do some little stupid thing that's not going to matter, like pull in front of me, not even close. They just literally are driving in front of me. (laughs) And I'm pissed off about it.
1: (laughs) Like you want a
3: private road? (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) And then, but there's this human need to be able to do that. When I see people taking care of others or who, are, who are really caring, even if they're annoying me, I still think that's so amazing. There's still part of me that's like, "That's so awesome to be able to be like that." And like you know, at that time, if I'm annoyed with them, I'm just stuck in some affliction or something, but I can still see how like freeing it is. And it really... we can't really do it yet. But we'd like to be so compassionate, this is from a Buddhist story, that if someone asked for your eyeball, you'd reach in and you'd give it to them without any attachment. It wouldn't be a big deal. They could ask you for anything and you would just do it for them. And it wouldn't be a problem for you. And there's something wonderful and amazing about it. And we'd like to have that kind of compassion. And I think all of us in this room, we get a sense of it and it's attractive or we wouldn't want to be, or we wouldn't bother studying it, you know, or even wanting to come to a class that had the word in the title, Bodhisattva. And it's not like we can learn it somewhere else. There's no course or like a master's or a bachelor's or even technical school training for compassion or for caring for others we don't have that there's there's nothing there's nobody else teaching this you know and the idea is to love another person as much as I love myself and I think the more times I hear this 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 next part the more times it makes sense Um, But theoretically, there's no reason, there's no logical reason why we shouldn't love someone else as much as we love ourselves. Because really what we're, we're mostly loving our body, Um, and I guess like our our idea of me too, Um, but mostly we're looking out for ourselves at the expense of others, when it doesn't logically make sense, especially karmically, if you know, if we want to have something in our future, we're supposed to give it away to somebody. And if we think about it like that, then when we see someone coming to take the last donut hole over the weekend, even though we've already had 30, I probably had 30 donut holes. I really did. <laughs> um, there's no sense of, oh, man, they're having the last one. It's like, awesome, they're having the donut hole, and I'm not taking it. And so th- there's going to be more donut holes in my future. You know, like, they're getting what they want in the moment. It's planting a good seed. I'm being happy about it. Awesome, they're getting, they're getting a good donut hole. And then um, I'll have more in the future. So, you know, or I can dedicate it to the higher cause we talked about. I think it was last week. Um, if I dedicate it to full awakening in this life for the sake of all beings, and I can still be happy that they had the donut hole at the same time. Instead of seeing them start to go for, like, see them from across the room and think they're walking towards the container of donut holes and try to get there before them and take it. (laughs) 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 Because I went on a crazy gluten... Dairy binge this weekend. It was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, but not as bad as normal. So (laughs) it might be progress. Maybe if I don't go so nuts. And I had three big slices of cheese pizza too. Mm. I just like went crazy. (laughs) Um. And. If we loved someone more than we love ourselves, it would be such a great liberation because our self-cherishing and self-grasping is mostly what's causing us trouble all throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. All throughout, like every second of every day. Think of the last time that you were upset about something and it was probably based in self-cherishing. Especially, I mean, I, I think of driving. I can't remember if I got upset with anyone on the way here. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I did. Oh, yeah, I did. Because I was making a U-turn, and this um, tow truck parked like right by me where I couldn't make a U-turn, so I'd make a three-point turn. <laughs> Which sounds so ridiculous, right? And embarrassing that I was like somewhat annoyed by that. <laughs> but I was. So that's the subject we're going to talk about tonight, and by the end of this whole process, if we could care about others as much as we care about ourselves, even if we could just try it out for a while, I think it'd be so liberating. It'd be like just being completely free of this heavy load that we've, decided to carry around in, in a way, you know, not that it's so easy to stop, but, but it's possible to stop and we can, we can do it through this course too. And basically, yeah, it's basically just depressing our lack of compassion for people. I think it is like literally that's the feeling that I get. When I don't care for other people, it does. It feels like I, I get kind of depressed. I don't know. See, see how it feels for you. Notice, like, when that happens. So Master Shantideva has a plan to get this compassion. And maybe two to three of us in this room, or all of us if we haven't already, will get it. But we have to study these things, and then we have to put them into practice. And we can talk about the method to do it, but then each of us has to do it ourselves. Otherwise, it won't work. And you meet, if you haven't, you will. You'll meet Dharma practitioners, and they've studied the same amount of time, and one of them seems to have attained this, and the other hasn't. And really, and you wonder why. Why does this one Dharma student seem like they really have the practice down and you know they're, they're happy, they're caring about people, they're, they're open, they're loving, and the other one doesn't. And really, it's just doing it. It's just doing the practice and trying it. And usually, the second person really isn't that serious and they haven't done the practice. Because if you do it, it does work. So we're going to do... The strategy and then there are certain steps and we have to do all of them we all have to do them and it's also we can we can take these courses and know every answer and ace the homeworks and the finals but if we don't practice it it really doesn't matter i think i mean i think in some way it affects us just learning it but ultimately if we don't practice the changes aren't going to come That the practices promise. And we, I mean, we all know that. And you have to start these things tonight. At least pick one thing that we're talking about tonight and start it tonight. Because the more you hear it, it'll just sound like, oh, I've already learned this. And you won't do it. You'll just, it won't be a conscious thing. You just won't listen as much. And there won't be the freshness or the newness. To get you to do it, you know. So we might as well just start now. Okay. Does anyone have any questions or anything? Okay. So what, this is the three preliminaries. They Kien, Kien, Tun Kien, Kien, Gal Kien Kien. Tindering. It's about hindering condition, conducive condition. Basically, gel kien is a factor or a condition that works against what you want to do. It's like you want to make um, pizza, but you don't have any cheese. and tankin is the opposite of gelkin. There're things which block you from reaching a state where you care about others as much as yourself, and then there's things which are conducive which you must gather and arrange to get there. And we're studying the second chapter of the Bodhisattva Charya Avatara. The first chapter was the sales pitch why we want to do it. And all of us we've As we were talking about before, we feel some kind of hunger and maybe we recognize it or maybe we don't, but we won't feel fully contented until we have bodhicitta. And I hadn't, when I heard him say this, it, I mean, it really sounded true, but it was interesting because I hadn't thought about it exactly like that we won't feel fully contented until we have full on bodhicitta until we truly are caring about others and you know living our whole lives for them the first chapter is describing what it feels like to get it it's totally liberating and it's a different way to walk through the world completely different way and what is it that prevents us or blocks us And there's certain things that block you and then there's conditions that you need to create. So it's really helpful because we're going to go over all of these and it'll tell us exactly what we need to do and what we need to get rid of. The blocks are mostly inner spiritual obstacles which we're not even aware of. And they prevent us from reaching our spiritual goals. We don't really know about it and nobody's ever talked to us about it. And even if they did, we wouldn't know how to get rid of them necessarily. But half the battle is over if we can learn how to identify the internal obstacles or blinders. Then without any trouble at all, we'd be halfway towards getting bodhicitta. So first we have to get that intention that we really want bodhicitta. So that's what we talked about in the first class. First we have to have that. Then we have to study what's holding us back that we don't even know about. And after we have aspiring bodhicitta and engaging bodhicitta, then we have to remove obstacles to achieving real bodhicitta. And we can do that by removing negative imprints, also known as (laughs) <laughs> yep. So before we purify negative karma, we have to clear the obstacles to successfully purifying negative karma. So the second chapter says, Dikpa-shakpa. Dikpa-shakpa. Dikpa-shakpa.
2: dikpa
1: shakpa.
0: Dikpa, shakpa. Dikpa, shakpa. Dikpa, shakpa. Dikpa, shakpa. dikpa is bad deeds. It kind of sounds like a curse word or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you do something bad. (laughs) 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 Um, And shakpa is split yourself open. I really like that translation. Basically, you're completely opening yourself up. I did this bad deed. Or I did this thing that's causing all this trouble. or Completely splitting yourself open. And this is purification. So at this point, we're not even at the point where we can do purification. We have to do certain preliminaries even before that. And we can't do a proper purification without doing these preliminaries. And the three preliminaries to purifying karma are doing prostrations, taking refuge, and making offerings. Three relatively doable things. We have to do these to collect the positive energy that's needed to purify the karmic imprints. I don't I really don't remember learning this actually. <laughs> <laughs> you can't purify without doing these. I have done these things in this way, but I don't remember learning this actually. Do you have you guys heard this before? That you have to do these things in order to purify? Yeah. And if you don't purify karma, so if we don't do these things and we're not able to purify the karma, then we're not going to be able to develop real bodhichitta. And the first one, say sewa. Chak sewa. Chak oh, so. is hand, and Selwa is to look for something. This is prostrations. Why do you have a
3: dancing taco? Because <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's telling you what chak Selwa is. There's not really a big reason. <laughs> he's got a megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really
3: hungry, so this is like... did you know your dinner Mm -hmm. oh gosh
0: (laughs) so chalk is the honorific word for hand it's it's what you would call like his holiness the Dalai Lama's hand would be chalk Mm -hmm. and the idea is that the Lama has something in his or her hand and when you do a prostration you're asking them to grant you something When Geshe-la, Geshe Michael went to India, he went to Dharamsala and there was a great Lama teaching and everybody gets up and starts doing prostrations and Geshe Michael had no idea what they were doing. I mean, I remember the first time I saw people doing prostrations, maybe at Lama Maruts retreats or something. And it's kind of, I think it is, it's kind of creepy in our culture when you first see it. But you, but you have no idea the reason behind it either. And so Geshe Michael had no idea what they were doing. And in Christianity, which I don't know much about this, but he was saying there's this commandment about not bowing down to craven images. And Geshe Michael said he'd waited for his whole life not to do that. <laughs> and it, he refused and refused to bow down for weeks and weeks because something about it to him seemed really wrong and he didn't understand it. And in a way, we can think that it's some custom that they do in Tibet or India or something like that, and it's just a cultural thing and it's not really that important to do. It's possible to think that, but then on the day that we see emptiness directly and we meet the Dharmakaya, the body of the Buddha, we'll see it directly. The immediate reaction is to get down on the floor with your face on the floor period. That's the the natural reaction. So when we prostrate, the idea is that I'm in the presence of the Dharmakaya and I have to get down on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's the most natural reaction. There's no thinking about it. No, what do I look like? Am I doing this right? Et cetera, et cetera. It's just an act of, seems to me like complete surrender and um, kind of like amazing reverence. Like imagine meeting you you know meeting somebody that you really saw as an enlightened being. So if a Buddha walked into this room and we really understood who they were, we would just automatically get down on the floor and prostrate, and we wouldn't get up until they told us to. And mostly we don't have the karmic seeds or the goodness to meet a being like that that we're you know that we're aware of that's what we're developing and gathering the good seeds to be able to see but if it happens to us there's there's no other reaction and trying to get that frame of mind into our mind when we're doing prostrations because really they're Gesha Michael talks about this, but they are. It's like a perfect opportunity to just waste time and space out. But it's also an opportunity to think that we're bowing to the Dharmakaya, to think something really holy and sacred, and we're making a statement that I'm a spiritual practitioner and I'm doing this. And I'm doing this thing that not, nobody really cares about. Nobody's going to think we're like a great person for for doing it, you know, maybe, maybe some people like in the the Dharma Center, but in general, in our culture, people just think it's weird, really, you know, so it's not like we're going to get praised, or, or we're making money from it, or, you know, like nothing like that really comes from it, so if we don't do that, it's just a wasted opportunity, and we'll end up being the middle-aged Dharma student where we're practicing every day and nothing's happening. Which is so sad because if you're practicing every day, you might as well be practicing every day, you know, like not wasting the time. So it's a chance to do something completely sacred and to assert our spiritual life. And we get this one-minute Especially if there's, like, a lot of new people, I think, in class. You get this one minute that everyone else thinks is crazy. And there's also no social pressure. It's not commercial. Just, you know, it's not like you're not doing it for any other reason, really. It's a chance to just say, I'm on a spiritual path. And you're thinking, I believe the Dharmakaya is present and the Buddha exists, and in this room, and I acknowledge it. So it can be really powerful, and you have that opportunity to experience it that way every time you're doing prostrations. And it's the point of prostrating. And if you don't think that, or, you know, think about that idea, then there's no point in doing it. It's a chance to do something that's purely sacred, And then, as we said before, the day that we see emptiness directly, we'll automatically do it, and that'll probably be the first time that we've ever done a real prostration. But we're practicing, and we're getting a lot of merit by doing it. Um, Maybe every day before and after we do our meditation. Or we can just do it at home whenever we feel like it, too. The point is, don't waste the time. If we do, we'll never... Get to bodhicitta. So, how we do it? I think you guys all know, but it's always good to to reveal. So, when you bring your hands to your chest, you put the thumbs inside. It's like this, yeah. And then you put it once at the crown. And it's the cause for the physical body of the Buddha later. In the classic Buddha form or Nirmanakaya. And so, what would the classic Buddha form be? What would that look like? Like Shakyamuni Buddha.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, but it doesn't have to... Buddhas don't have to look like that. They don't have to be Indian or um, a, from a different culture or even a person. It can be a tree. It can be anything. So we put, it, we put the hands up on the head and then once at the throat, which means we'll speak like a Buddha, and then once at the heart, which means we'll think like a Buddha, and then you go slowly down, meaning I don't want to go to the lower realm, which you see different, different people doing prostrations differently, so there's probably different interpretations of it. But you go slowly down. And then when we reach the ground, we put our palms flat and the fingers together because we don't want to end up. I think the fingers is because we don't want to end up with hooves. So we don't want to uh, have a rebirth as an animal. And then um, knees touch, hands, forehead. And that's a short prostration. And then you, you go back up. And some people do four, some people do three. I've always done three, but I keep hearing different ways recently.
3: Emily taught us four. Yeah. But I forget because you you do crown and then third eye But I forgot what the third eye
0: was. Yeah. It's probably different um than ages. I mm-hmm.
4: you know I thought the lane didn't welline say I thought because i have been doing four, I've been doing mm-hmm. and then the um yeah the and the mouth I thought. But I don't know if I'm just
0: remembering things. Or... I don't think it's. I don't think it's really wrong or right. Three or four. This my. That's my sense. And if yeah, the way she taught it, I'm sure is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of remember the math too, yeah. but I don't think I've heard anybody teaching it the last few times I've heard about it because I don't think Emily said mouth okay. yeah but I but I thought that too but I think the main thing is the intention of it I'd say um, okay we'll go over one more slide and then we'll take a break okay now the objects of our frustrations which are also the objects of taking refuge and making offerings Say koin chok coin
1: Koin chok Koin chok, chok Very
0: rare, highest three. Very rare. <laughs> <laughs> Which are the three jewels. In Sanskrit, the three ratna. I do, I really like Sanskrit. And it kind of made sense over the weekend. Glenn was saying that um, Sanskrit's a lot easy for Westerners because... The, it's more similar to our language. It has more similarities. It's easier for us to pronounce.
1: Like the sounds? Yeah. Like a side route to uh, Indo European language. Into your what? Indo European. European.
0: European, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Ratna, I mean, that's super easy to say. But it's also, I don't know, I find all the Sanskrit words very appealing too. Um, okay, so the first one, say Sangye Konchok. Sangye Konchok. Chu Konchok. Chu Konchok. Genden Konchok. Genden
3: Konchok.
0: So the first one, Sangye Konchok is Buddha Jewel, Chu Konchok is Dharma Jewel, and Genden Konchok is Sangha Jewel. and this is these are the most important objects of prostrating refuge and making offerings so the first one the buddha and the buddha jewel are not the same thing there's the so-called buddha jewel which are pictures representing the buddha which are then the so-called nominal. And then after you have the direct perception of emptiness, your relationships with the tankas changes and they become photographs of people that you've seen directly, which is really cool. It always makes me think of Harry Potter when you have those photos and they're like moving in the photos. Mm-hmm. The main Buddha jewel is the Dharmakaya, which is the emptiness of the Buddha. So we can think of these in terms of the prostrations. We're thinking of the emptiness of the Buddha, or our enlightened potential, as we're... Actually, I do it just the first prostration, that's how I do it. I'm thinking like I'm bowing to my enlightened self or my enlightened potential, something like that. Okay, the Buddha and the Buddha jewel are separate. Buddha is the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Buddha jewel is the Dharmakaya or the emptiness of a Buddha. Dharma Jewel, the books and the teachings are the nominal Dharma Jewel, not the real Dharma Jewel. The real Dharma Jewel is seeing emptiness directly. That's what I'm thinking about when I do the second prostration. I'm bowing to my understanding of emptiness or my potential understanding of it. That's the ultimate jewel, and the five paths which lead to the direct perception of emptiness and the cessations which result from seeing emptiness. We're bound to all of those things. So we can bow down to the direct perception of emptiness and its resulting cessations. Cessations are basically, once you reach a certain point in your understanding of emptiness, you'll never take a lower birth ever again, not ever again. So that's one example of a cessation. After direct perception of emptiness, you'll never doubt Buddhism again. Another example of a cessation. So we're gonna talk about um, offerings too. But in the sense of offerings, So you're thinking about the absence of doubt. You have that cessation, okay? So you have no more doubt in Buddhism. And if you're making offerings, can the absence of doubt, so you're making offerings to the three jewels, and we're talking about the ultimate jewel, of the Dharma jewel. Can the absence of doubt in your mind drink water, eat cookies, or have the candy or the flowers that you put on the altar? No. It just, it just can't. It's, the absence of doubt is an unchanging thing. It can't be aware of your water offering or your cookie offering or your cake offering or anything like that. So it's not for it's not for that specifically that we're making offerings. And we'll get into making offerings a little bit more later in class, it'll make more sense. For the sangha jewel, who knows what the nominal sangha jewel is? That is the real sangha jewel
3: the people you practice
0: with like yeah the center. yeah the nominal sangha jewel i think traditionally it's or technically like ordained monks and nuns mm-hmm. but yeah the people that you're i think the people that you're practicing with too and then the sangha jewel the real sangha jewel is everyone who's perceived emptiness directly and doing we, do we know who that is we don't know because we can't read people's minds we, we're not really sure and what's really cool is on the day that we see emptiness directly we become two of the three jewels and we're what people are going to be looking to for help so we become the dharma jewel and the sangha jewel we become two ups. okay Let's take a break.
4: When you see emptiness directly, you um, become the one, what do you say? You
0: The Dharma and the Sangha jewel. You, and
4: then you um, are looking to
1: get help from someone?
0: Or... People are looking to you because you're two of the three jewels. So when people go to refuge or go for a refuge, you know, it's basically like asking for help, they're going to you for refuge now, and then when you become a Buddha, then you you turn and you have all three, you You're all three of them, you the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, Jewel. Full enlightenment, mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> okay,
0: let's see what we have coming up here. I had Willie's for dinner. <laughs>
4: well, I, mean, what, wait, what,
0: I love Willie's, I get it I like once Willys. a week. I know. <gasps> what? Someone else said that today. It it's a burger place.
1: Willie's. Where is that? You know
0: Willie's, right, Lauren? It's like a, a Sacramento institution. Where? It's uh, the one I go to is on Sixteenth between Broadway and X, and it's like this. place.
1: Uh huh. Oh. Okay. It's
0: really good. It's like um, it used to be all women working in there for quite a while, but now there's one like younger guy and um i get um a protein style burger because i can't have the buns and then i get small fries small fries are really big i think their fries are really good too and they have like chili fries they also have like tamales and um hot dogs and stuff like that but i think i see everyone like ordering the burgers it's sort of like In-N-Out style
1: oh. the old fashioned um,
0: yeah like the thin patties yeah. and they'll like you, they have like a four stack and you can get like cheese and grilled onions and, or you just get one or two or. is it as cheap like
4: is it expensive
0: it's not as cheap as In-N-Out at all but okay. it's okay. when it's I like get better. my burger I get like the smallest burger because I only want one patty and I don't get cheese and I get small fries and it's like six something.
4: Uh, that's not bad. That's pretty cheap. Yeah.
0: But I don't yeah. think I think that's in an ounce it's cheaper, isn't it?
4: Not that much. With a fries? No, maybe um, not. It's, it like they're pretty cheap. I think, I think they drink. have gotten this shake on top of no. the burger.
1: Yeah, and yeah, they have yeah, homemade shakes like, there too.
0: They're
1: not fast food cheap but they're they're, they're about yeah.
3: yeah. I feel like six dollars so for dinner is like a like steal. Something. No, yeah. yeah,
0: I think I, th- I don't think it's a lot. I was just thinking, I remembered it and Out being cheaper, but I haven't been there in a while. I know, it's
3: I think it really is because if you get a drink with it, it's like six
0: dollars. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You make so it's really good.
4: Drink. And they have it's just a small cup. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, we're all hungry, it's
0: really good. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, if I got a bun, I can, with the protein style, I can eat all the fries and all the burger. If I got a bun at some point, I don't think I can finish it out. I 100% could. Oh,
3: no. <laughs> I know. I mean, it. I could,
0: but I'd be way too full. No. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> but
3: I mean, to get something like that, I wait I'm, like, really hungry. I usually do, too. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I want that much, so I, like, skip lunch or something. Yeah.
0: And I think when I was with Mike, he told me that their fries are frozen, made from frozen, but I don't care. I still I think they're amazing. <laughs> I think their fries are way better than in and out fries, actually. Um,
4: it's like In-N-Out fries, or is it
2: like
0: thicker? Um, or... I actually can't remember what in and out fries are like. No, they're thin. They're real thin. They're
1: like, they're like they're real, thin. real potatoes, like really good. Uh, actually sliced, the but they get, right. they get limp, yeah,
0: They, they make theirs like that, that at Willie's sometimes. I actually like them when they're not yeah. all crunchy, but today the, the new guy made mine and they were crunchier. <laughs> 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 but they're still really good. <laughs> okay. On to the next. Okay, Kyandro. 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 Oh my gosh! What does this this picture looks like? Um, is it Jim? Do you, does anybody know who Jim is? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: Jim. Yeah,
4: um, they had a movie about her
0: face. Yeah, it was a TV show. Um, oh. and I think she yeah. has hair like this, but it kind of reminds me of Tina Turner too. Oh, yeah. What was it? Was like a girl, a girl band? Yeah. Um, Jim and yeah. I saw the movie. I liked. I li- I used to watch that show. I'll show you guys. Gem and the Holograms.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. cheesy.
0: <laughs> um, let's see if you can see it. Oh yeah. That's it. That's what she looked like. Champagne hair.
3: Hell yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it was when I was little and I, yeah, I think I think they like, because it says in the holograms, I think they have some special powers or something. Is this special
3: powers?
0: <laughs> Is it <laughs> like fingers? <kingdoms>? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, anyways. <laughs> So Kam taking refuge. And we hear a lot of talk about Buddhist refuge. And it can almost become like a buzzword. It's possible that a lot of people don't even know what it means. And you hear this joke from Geshe Michael a lot through these courses, that um, there's a joke in the monasteries that there's an abbot up on the throne teaching thousands of people. And that he, he wasn't even Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it means to be Buddhist, is to take refuge in the mm-hmm. Three Jewels. And we can take... So we can take refuge for protection from suffering and death. But how can this really protect us? We come from a Judeo-Christian background or culture. And it's kind of the idea if God likes you, He protects you, or He takes care of you, but really, we could stand next to the Buddha and there's stories like this, and be shot and killed just as easily as we could anywhere else he can't He can't prevent that from happening, so the way. So, wait a minute, what is this saying? Oh, okay. Basically, Buddhism doesn't offer any protection except our understanding of emptiness. That's what is going to protect us. Period. Which is really, it's really a good thing because if we have this understanding in our own mind, then it's with us all the time. We don't need anything else to protect us. And we won't have any big protection until we understand it really well. And while we're thinking of emptiness, or keeping in mind that that things are empty of self-existence, that these are just labels created by my mind that I'm placing on top of everything, it's impossible for us to have a mental affliction. Just try it out as you're going through your day. If you notice a mental affliction coming on, think about emptiness. See if you can have a mental affliction while you're thinking about emptiness. Try it out and and see if you can. And then when we see the direct perception of emptiness... We'll never have to worry about anything again. We'll never have to worry about money. We'll never have to worry about having a place to live, having good teachers, good family. It's the ultimate protection. We'll never take a lower birth. And there's one word that's present in all the jewels when we're talking about them. In the Buddha jewel, it's the emptiness body. Dharma is understanding of emptiness. And then the Sangha is all those who have seen emptiness directly. And it's not that pictures, you know, like the tonkas or something like that, or the statues can protect us. It's understanding karma and emptiness, which is the greatest protection. And we have to study refuge and learn about refuge. And then when we bow down in the future, we have to be thinking about emptiness and that we're bowing to people who have seen it directly. And if we aren't doing this, we're not bowing correctly, and we're, we're kind of missing out on an opportunity. And we also respect the pictures and the statues, and we bow to them because of what they represent, but they're not gonna be the ultimate protection. And we also respect the Buddhist robes too, imagining that they're representing the Buddha himself. And it's, it's really cool, Buddhism's amazing because it transforms everything in our world into something special and sacred. And we do, it's not like we have to change anything, our world doesn't have to change, it's just our way of thinking about it changes. So it's not like what we're used to where I have to make something happen out there somehow and, you know, like get the next job or the next partner or lose weight or gain weight or eat the right foods or, you know, do something like that. It's Everything's perfect the way it is and I just have to change my thinking about it. And then that changes my reality too. Okay. The next one, say chupa. 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 chupa.
3: chupa.
0: Which is making offerings. And I, re- I really like this part because um, I could do better at making offerings on my altar at home, like, other than the, the water bowls and incense and. Candle. so this is helpful basically what we should offer are things that are significant to us and without any ulterior motive of personal gain like I'm not offering we're not you're not supposed to eat the offerings that you offer anyways so but if you're on retreat so if we're on the new year's retreat we're not bringing something to offer because I want to eat it once it comes off of the altar. <laughs> and I think kind of when we're like sharing it at retreat, I think it's okay to eat what you've brought. But if you're making offerings to an altar at home or on a personal retreat, you don't eat the offerings. You, you give them to someone else. So you don't want to buy like just your favorite candy because you want to eat it once you take it off the altar or something like that. I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it seems okay to me that you would offer something that you know somebody else really likes and you're gonna give it to them after. But probably the best is to just think about what, what your Lama or these beings that are pictured on your altar, pick something that they would like. And just make it a practice like when you go to the store Oh, I think they'd like this. I'm gonna get this, or you know, they'd like—I don't know—like juji fruit or something. My mom loves those. Have you guys had those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like so hard to chew. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't choose something you really like and you want to share it.
0: Just you could, if you think they'd—if you think they'd really li- like if your intention is I think they would love this too and I want them to enjoy it, you know? So you, yeah, you totally could, but you wouldn't choose something that you like so that you can then eat it after you take it off the altar. Okay. You try to pick something that you you think they're going to really enjoy, which might be your favorite thing too. It could it could be the same. And it, we don't really have this, well, I never did growing up. And we don't really have a big practice like this in our society. So we might not have the natural urge to go and buy a cake and put it in front of a picture on our, on our altar or something like that. It might not be natural. But really it's because we don't understand the offerings. And we have to do them or we won't see emptiness directly. And they're really important. So we have to understand what's going on when we make an offering. And it's just like the prostrations. First of all, we're not in a Buddhist country. Nobody cares if we're making offerings. Maybe if we have Dharma friends over, they might think, oh, that's cool. There's offerings on there. But they don't, even, they don't care that much, you know? And mostly, I mean, I live by myself. So most people, probably nobody's even going to see the offerings that I make. So, we don't live somewhere where we're like competing to make the biggest offering. Like I think some Buddhist countries are like that. So, like we were saying, not getting just what we like and not thinking about how the offerings are going to look to other people. Like if you're making offerings that maybe a weekend retreat or a longer retreat or some other teaching because it'll just destroy it. A really pure offering people wouldn't even know about, which doesn't mean you don't make offerings that people do know about, but that would be the most pure where there's no recognition for it at all, or you know, no witnesses. And it should be something meaningful to you. And it's just like prostrations, it's a statement That you believe that there are beings beyond this world. That you believe in something bigger than buying more stuff and going to more movies and eating more food. And really everything else that we do during the day is worldly. We get up, we put on our clothes, brush our teeth, brush our hair... We get ready for the day, we eat breakfast, uh, we look at our phone, we sleep. The whole day mostly is something worldly. And that sort of existence just leads to one thing, which is death. And it's really just wasted time. An offering is, should be something that's not like that. And really, the the holy beings that we're offering to, they don't get any benefit from the offerings. They do experience bliss, but they experience everything as bliss. They experience,
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, your
0: dirty toenail clipping as bliss. They experience the most amazing, delicious cake as bliss. So it's not that they're getting something special out of it, because if we didn't offer anything, they'd still be experiencing that as total bliss. So the point is that we're working on purification. We have to change ourselves. We have to change our mind and our predispositions. And really, offering, it's a pretty easy thing. Like, we have the means to do it. It's something that we can easily do. And even if we're not really believing what we're offering to, we're still thinking about it every time and practicing. And it... As we keep doing it, we'll believe more and more and it'll become more and more real and feel more sacred and special. And if we don't do it, then we won't ever get to that point. (coughs) It's really, offering is all for us. And I think this is a hard one in our culture, especially because we think that, well, I know I thought this, like, when I, when I was first starting to study, I thought it was just like the teacher wanted offerings themselves or something. Mm-hmm. I really did. Every time I heard it, I thought, <clears throat> oh, they just want gifts or something. Um, even when it wasn't even like my direct teacher, I still thought that, oh, they just want something from me or something like that. But it's really not. It's, um, it's something that we have to do in our spiritual life in order in order to plant the seeds that we need to get where we want to go, really. So I don't know if you guys have this thought, too, when you hear about it, but if you're listening to llamas, you know, other teachers who come through, they're talking about offerings, and you see that thought come in oh they just want something I kind of I think mostly I didn't really question it that much and so I just let it keep going but just sit back and notice if you have that and then question it and see what's underneath that and if it's valid and you know like look at it from different sides and challenge it so that you don't have obstacles to offering like I was I always really like offering so I just did it anyways But I still had that thought that this is um, self-serving. Even when Lama Ami talks about it now, that thought still comes up. (coughs) That, you know, she just wants offerings. But she really doesn't. Half of the things I give her, she probably can't even eat anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not for that. It's because, like I can say, because I, I feel like I know for sure with Lama Ami, she's saying this. Because she wants what's best for me. That's why she's saying it. She wants me to make spiritual progress. She's helping me along the path. And she's saying it for me. It's not for her. It really isn't. Because she can buy as many candy bars as she wants. Or you know anything like that. But it's helping me in a lot of different ways. And it's helping me to see her as more and more special too. So really offering, it's all for us. And I think we don't totally buy this in our culture because we feel like somebody's like swindling us in some way or taking advantage or something like that because we're used to being sold on everything. Like we're used to being for sale, really, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's just something that'll probably come up for us. And it doesn't, you know, it's just like a cultural thing. And we can notice it and just keep offering, just still do it.
3: Well, we hear so much in our culture, like about these spiritual gurus or whatever,
0: yeah,
3: and take advantage of people, and it's like this huge story. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to hear like, but it's a rarely a huge story about like teachers' generosity or like pastors that are very right. More like those are not big stories in this country
0: because they're not as sensational or yeah.
3: Yeah. interesting or have like that weird like how we like watching other people suffering and get pleasure uh-huh. from that like so that's what we think that everyone has an that spiritual gurus have kind of an ulterior motive because it's
0: kind of how we're conditioned and, and it's and we're kind of used to feeling like that in most of our relationships too Yeah. that someone wants something from us and yeah. that's why they're doing something it's very conditional Yeah, I wonder yeah. if people from other culture or you know other countries feel that
1: so it's sort of transactional or uh, nothing yeah. for free nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. and then the world for free introduces.
3: definitely in a capitalist culture mm-hmm.
0: yeah and it, I mean, ours is like capitalist <laughs> to the extreme yeah. too <laughs>
3: we're the model capitalist yeah
0: we <laughs> <laughs> so we could yeah. think of it as a, in a way that it's like the best investment that we could make for our spiritual future mm-hmm. and maybe we don't know like, we're not as familiar with that currency, so it doesn't feel natural mm-hmm. to us. So, I don't know. It might be helpful to think of it more in terms of like a capitalist idea, you know, because we're more comfortable with that. So, when you read Master Shanti Deva's words, he's basically begging the three jewels to take his offerings. Like, they're doing him a big favor by taking his offerings. Like, please, please take these offerings. And as you do them more and more, something changes inside of you. And this is catching Michael's words, but he says, if you want to be a Dharmic idiot, then don't make offerings. Just put it in the category of something that Tibetans did. To want to make an offering, you have to have a large spiritual IQ. Because I think this is true. It's also because to go out and spend good money on something that's going to sit and rot on the table in your room, it just goes against a lot of what we believe, you know? It it just seems kind of crazy, too. Even, I think even buying flowers for the altar can feel like that, too, you know? It feels like an obligation or if it does, or if prostrating feels like a pain, then we are not getting it. And probably as we're getting used to it, there might be some of both in there. It might feel like a pain and we're trying to practice it at the same time. And I think that's, I think that's good because we're kind of like railing against our tendency to not want to do it or to that selfishness mm-hmm. or whatever it is.
4: You're getting, you're doing this in your altar, you're getting something that you think someone at your work, you know, or someone that that would really like this thing, you're going to get it for your altar because that person, but ultimately you're going to give it to that person. They're not seeming so special, and you're wanting to do that, and then just put it in their box or something, because you think they like that thing.
2: Why do they have a box? (laughs) (laughs) Like we
4: have these little
0: cubbies. Um. So, are you saying like is that okay to do it that way? I know I said that. I think that um, if it's if you find something that you think the beings that you're offering to would really like, and your friend would really like too, I think that's I think that works really well. Also, but not like you know your friend likes it, but you don't really think that the beings that you're offering to like it. You know, because you'll get a sense yeah, yeah. of it if you have an idea of uh-huh. in mind of who you're offering to does that make sense
4: yeah Mm -hmm. so say it fits maybe both yeah (laughs) or that
0: because maybe it's like this amazing offering that you think everybody would love you know like (laughs) i don't know jelly beans or something
4: (laughs) especially the ones that you don't
0: Oh, yeah, because you're trying to, you know, change the karma with them. or Yeah. And maybe the ones that you don't like, you don't really know what they would like. So you just, um, when you take the offering down off of it, you think, oh, maybe they would like this, and you give it to them. And then you're giving them um, sacred, sacred offerings, too, that have been transformed. Yeah, Yeah. but I don't know if it's something that like I don't know if you're like I really hate this person I'm going to get these offerings and I'll put them on my altar so that I can give to them not like that I don't know if that's what you mean anyways but more like
4: you know it's changing there is some good They're they're not a horrible person but i i do see a lot of good qualities they're just the ones that are the most problem causing they're <laughs> within the well there's two they're, they just have some qualities that are not very uh pleasurable but mm-hmm Some co worker, well, there's a co worker that is so nice, so nice. I mean, I'm like, please stop giving me stuff, <laughs> so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're too nice, <laughs> and um, so then it, but then it makes me feel like obligated sometimes, you know, to like want to give back. I want to give you stuff because you. But then it just seems like so much, you know. It seems like overwhelming where you're like, just.
0: Oh, so this is the one that you want to give the offerings to? Some time, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give her a taste of her own medicine.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one, like, she really, um, I've given her things. I tri- one time I gave her this thing because she had said she liked this thing, and I got the thing, and it,
0: yeah, oh, that's, that's nice.
4: Because seeds can be so like, well, um, it had the Christmas box. Um, she was like, I want to go there. I think I need to go get that box because it has all these things I really like. So then the next time, I got it for her. I put it on her, um, workstation, and then, um, and then she's like, who is this from? <laughs>
0: and then, I know, I hate it when I'm trying to give anonymously, and people are, like,
4: know, asking
0: everybody, and then I can't <laughs> lie.
4: Yes. because <laughs> she kept asking, and I'm like, um, <laughs> well, You're like, I gotta go to the bathroom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's nice, though.
3: I think that was nice to do. Mm Sometimes it doesn't feel good
4: enough. You know, like, you need more.
0: Just because she's given you a lot of things? Yeah. A lot of the people were very nice and
4: giving, like, and then I feel like this non- Over here, that's selfish.
0: I can see how you can feel that way if people are like, because it sounds like they're maybe going overboard with the giving. So, yeah, Yeah. there's, and sometimes there is some sense of like, you owe me Mm -hmm. that maybe you're picking up on too, you know, if people have given a lot. yeah I think well you can give in ways that aren't material things too you know just like kindness or your time or um, I guess advice if people are asking or you know that sort of thing too Mm -hmm. so you don't have to think that you have to always give material things back so maybe if you like take inventory of what else you're doing for
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For these people, it'll it'll kind of ease the sense that you have to like keep buying her things because she's <laughs> buying.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, like we were saying, to want to make an offering, you have to have a large spiritual IQ. Like your the sees candy box, which is a nice offering. And if we feel like with making offerings or prostrating, prostrating that it's just a total pain, we'll just give it up at some point. We'll either end up quitting, or like we were talking about before, we'll be one of those boring middle-aged dharma students who just didn't get it and nothing's happening in practice. But if we do it, we will start to get results. So just do it, even if it's just a little bit. Just start with a little bit maybe once a day, depends what it is you're deciding to do, once a week, whatever, decide that you're going to do one little thing and stick with it. Give yourself like a number of days or weeks or whatever. An offering creates really positive energy for the results to come around. It's that sense that I'm going to use my resources for something that has true meaning, and it's going to sit on the altar and rot, basically. And we're stating, I believe, in the three jewels. And then this part really... Oh, is this on here already? Yes. Okay, and then the three kinds of offerings say, (laughs) dapu Masum weze. Dakpu masum weze. Dakpu
1: masum
0: Offering things that no one owns, like the mountain, the sky, etc. Yeah, which is really sweet. Yeah. Because we see beautiful things around all the time. And when you look outside and you see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, you offer that to your lama or you see a beautiful flower, or you have like a delicious first taste of coffee or mocha or your latte, you offer it to your llama. So you, you can make offerings all the time. You just close your eyes for a second and think they can see it. You know, like if you're looking at a sunset and then you offer it to them. And it's really, it's a great practice. It's really important. And you just have to do it. It's really fun too. Number two, Rangi Lu Uwa. Rangi Lu Uwa.
1: Rangi
0: Lu And this one is offering your own body. So putting yourself to the service of the three jewels, spending your life doing service. And there's a story of this young man who hears this voice and it says, go east. And he keeps going and going. And then he starts to hear this lama teaching and he's getting closer and closer and he can see this llama. He gets to the town and he has to buy offerings but he realizes he's completely broke. He looks around for something to sell and he decides to sell his arms and his legs. And so he sits down and he starts to scream out that he's offering his arms and legs. And these demons come and block anyone from hearing him. And out of pure frustration, he starts to cry. And this daughter of a rich merchant sees him from a rooftop. And she feels really sorry for him and finds out that he needs money. And she talks to her dad and talks him into paying for his offerings. He gets them, he offers them, he meets the llama, and he sees the direct perception of empty. And basically, this is, what we're talking about here isn't really that. This is, we're talking about giving your life to the three jewels. The third one, say, Lu, Tru, Wei, Chupa. Lu, Tru, Chupa. Lu, Tru, Chupa.
1: Lu, Tru, Chupa.
0: These are offerings sent out with your own mind. This is, so you're fantasizing beautiful things in your mind and you offer them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Typical ones would be you imagine a beautiful bodhisattva or a tara and you're bathing them, you're offering them a bath. And there's a, there's a whole process which I don't know it and you have to go about it the right way. You can offer a beautiful palace to live in. You can dress them in beautiful silks. Uh, You can offer like a whole sky full of flowers. So with your mind you can offer anything. You can think of exactly what they would like and you offer the whole sky. I think recently I offered like whole sky full of flowers and it's usually pink peonies and there was Rainbows and unicorns on it, too. <laughs> and so, it, doing this kind of offering has a profound effect because just think about your fantasies and your dreams, what a big effect those things can have on you. And you can really, I mean, you can offer anything. It can be as elaborate as you want with a mental offering. So you pick a bodhisattva that you think is really amazing, And you go through all the 12 offerings, which are in the readings. Really getting into it, enjoying it. And it changes your thoughts and your behavior. And it's just the opposite of all the bad fantasies that we have about what we wish we had said to somebody who was rude to us, or how we should have treated someone who treated us badly, or, you know, whatever fantasies someone else not getting something they want. Lord um, Manjushri, Avalokiteshvara, and Vajrapani. Um, In the sutra teachings, they're all bodhisattvas. In the secret teachings, they're enlightened. But they all specialize in giving offerings. That's their specialty. And these are actions that prepare our mind to learn compassion. So if we learn how to do all of these, then we'll reach that that mind of compassion. And if we don't, we're just going to end up, um, you know, if we don't practice them, then nothing's going to happen. And this is, a lot of these are ones that we can't say we don't have time for because they don't take much time, even... I mean, I don't know, Does doing, like, three prostrations takes maybe a minute. Maybe. <laughs> like, it's super fast. <laughs> and, I mean, how many times are we somewhere buying food? Or I really like food as, as an offering, but it doesn't have to be food. It can be anything that you feel like you want to offer. But I mean, how many times are we somewhere where we can buy, like, a small offering? And it doesn't have to be something huge. So if we do these things, if we go for refuge, prostrate, or make offerings without thinking about the emptiness of the Buddha, the direct perception of emptiness, and all of those who have seen emptiness then we're not doing it properly and we won't prepare to purify our negative karma. And then we won't be able to purify negative imprints and gain bodhicitta. So that's why we want to do it.
2: Okay. And we will just sit for a few minutes.
0: just sit and just like in the beginning scan your awareness down your body and just relax relaxing all of the trying to think and listen reason The forehead smooth and the shoulders relax down the back, and it's like you're absorbing all the benefits of the teachings, the wisdom and the power to practice. And see yourself doing these practices that we talked about going for refuge making offerings see yourself at the store remembering to get offerings going for refuge, making prostrations meaningfully. and Lauren will lead us in closing prayers
2: Pukki Chuk Shing <clears> me Tram Rira Bleng Shing Indek Empati Sanghe Shing Du Mik Te O Argi Drogun Amdak Shing La <laughs> Chupar Yadam Guru Radha Andalakam Niri Yatayami Geva Di ge Kun Sunam Yase Sok, sok Sunam Yase